Let's talk Jack Chick. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning. How is everybody doing? So we had an email recently asking about Jack Thomas Chick, born in 1924 and died about four years ago on October 23rd, 2016. Now maybe you haven't heard the name Jack Chick, but you've probably seen what's called a Chick Tract. Now what is a Chick Tract? It's a little evangelistic pamphlet with a bunch of cartoony drawings and doodles that basically try to tell people, hey, you're a sinner in need of a savior. At least most of them should, right? Jack Chick was an evangelist, and the idea was is if you're shy and you don't have the time or maybe you don't have the, the ability to really talk to people effectively, but you want to bring people into the kingdom of heaven, well, then you can buy some chick tracts, you can leave them on some car doors or some on the footsteps of a church building. We'll get to that. Or, you know, some something like that. Just a way to evangelize without having to talk to somebody. So you can get over the fear of direct peer-to-peer evangelism. Excuse me. Now, on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I would say that's brought people to Christ. I know that when I was first becoming a Christian, I think I was helped along by a few of the chick tracks that I saw left on stairs in public parks and stuff. It can be used for good. However, however, comma, Jack T. Chick. (laughs) Really interesting guy. And he had some very interesting things to say about Roman Catholicism, and about, well, anything that disagreed with Jack Chicked. You see, as a Baptist, he wasn't just your average Baptist. He was a premillennial dispensationalist with a very, very, very fond uh, view of the King James Bible. He was a King James-only kind of Christian, and he was part of the independent Baptist movement, meaning you're going to get Stephen Anderson's views pumped into these tracts. Some of them, which don't touch controversy, like, this was your life. That's the that's probably the most famous of them. This was your life. Translated into about a hundred languages, it's everywhere, and it just gives you a bit of the gospel and gives you the Baptist's conception of how we are saved. Cool. Somebody getting that track can be told basically here's how you go to heaven but then he gets to things like uh death cookie the death cookie or why is mary crying and we see what the roman catholic church has uh has declared to be jack chick's nightmare world i mean this is a guy that thought that dungeons and dragons was um how do i put this nicely he thought that dungeons and dragons was a secret like entrance to satanic worshiping cults and that the uh, roman catholic church was an evil babylonian cult that uh that claimed its true heritage from actual babylon i know that sounds weird but what if i told you that kind of worldview was actually extremely common in the united states for a very long time What if I told you that, in fact, that was what academics thought, or at least what they implied? So, 
Have you ever heard of the trail of blood thesis? It's an idea, it comes from this uh, Southern Baptist minister, uh, James Carroll. His idea was that Baptists, who don't really have a distinct heritage, are actually, they have their own kind of apostolic succession. It's like if you were to have a, a traced lineage of the Christian church, right? Most people would say, okay, so Jesus comes on the scene. He, he comes into Jerusalem. He dies on a cross for our sins, rises from the dead, and gives the great commission to the 12 apostles. Well, 11 apostles, later to Matthias. And then those apostles, they designate their successors before they die. So you have St. Polycarp. St. Clement of Rome, the second pope, so to speak. Um, you have all the apostolic fathers who were associates of the apostles, and then you have the associates of those associates. You know, kind of the eyewitnesses to the eyewitnesses to the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And all the apostles, it seems, at least tradition would have it, the apostle would lay his hands on a successor. That successor would be a bishop who then would lay his hands and lay his hands on the next guy and the next guy and the next guy until you get this clear line. So somebody with apostolic succession is somebody that can trace who laid their hands on whom all the way back to St. Peter putting his hands on Clement. At least that's the idea, right? And then somewhere around 1054 AD, this splits up into the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. Then the Reformation happens in the 1500s, you know, with some bumps along the line where you get the Hussites and the Moravians. And so in the, the 1600s, 1517, kicking it off, you have the Reformation and that gives us Lutherans. And then from the Lutherans, there's the kind of radical reformation away from Lutheranism and anything that looks Roman Catholic with Anabaptists, with Calvinists, and as well as the Church of England, right? The kind of reformation piggybackers. Well, I shouldn't call them piggybackers. That's kind of a Hans Fien thing. It's better to say people with a more anti-Catholic view of it, unless you're a high church Anglican. But that's the general tack of, of church history. Jesus comes on the scene. The church is united for a thousand years um, with apostolic succession being a clear and necessary thing to know you got a, had a good teacher. Then the Great Schism happens in 1054. The Reformation starting in 1517. And then from there, there's the Radical Reformation. And in the United States as well as in Scotland, there is the rise of the Pentecostal groups, the charismatic Christians, who kind of have their own thing going on, their own heritage to trace there. But the Trail of Blood presents a different kind of theory called Baptist successionism. And the idea in Baptist successionism is modern-day Baptists have their own unbroken line, right? Uh, well, it's also it's been referred to as the landmark controversy that, uh, that gave us the American Baptist Association and gospel missions and all sorts of unaffiliated churches. Baptist successionism says Jesus came on the scene, 
gave his message to the 12 apostles, and the church was more or less shakily united for about 300 years. Then Constantine comes on the scene, and he becomes a Christian. Sort of. Constantine has all these, uh, this hangover from Roman religion, and he decides, you know what, we really need to make Christianity a Roman religion. So Constantine sets up the Roman Catholic Church. And again, this is, this is the trail of blood theory. Now, from then, you get ideas like the Donatists being a persecuted Baptist sect. Now, for those of us in the know about church history, the Donatists were actually heretics. They said that if a priest had lapsed in his faith under uh, Roman, uh, the Roman Empire's persecution, then that guy was a lapsy and all of his sacraments were invalid. You had to rebaptize everybody. You had to, all the sacrament of communion that they gave, that was invalid. That was just bread and water. The Donatists would say, yeah, we need to riot and kill these bishops and priests that screwed up and lapsed and offer that pinch of incense to Caesar. They'll say, no, in the Trail of Blood Theses, no, those were actually Baptists. And, of course, they were persecuted by this Roman Catholic Church because that's just what the Roman Catholic Church did. This is not the Roman religion, you see, and we need to... We need to get rid of this. We need to cleanse our new faith. So by the time Jack Chick is around, right, the concept of the trail of blood had been around for somewhere around 50 years. By the time he starts being a cartoonist in the, in like the, uh, in the 60s. And the, there had been Baptist successionist ideas before then because in America... Where, you know, let's face it, America was land of the Baptists, Quakers, Anglicans, everything Protestant uh, on the Radical Reformation side of things for a very long time. America being separated from that meant that there had to be some alternative account of how you ended up with this while you're in relative geographic isolation from Roman Catholicism's biggest cultural centers that would give you a different view of things. Even the Lutheran groups like the LCMS and the, uh, the Texas Synod, the Ohio Synod, all these groups were very, 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 very small compared to these uh, Second Great Awakening era churches. So the concept of Baptist successionism, it grew and it got huge in the United States, huge in places, in various places in uh, Calvinism, not Calvinism, in Canada. And the idea that just every group that's been called bad by the Roman Catholic Church, from Donatists to Montanists to Paulicians, Cathari, Valdenses, Albigenses, Lollards, and the Anabaptists, anybody that the Roman Catholic Church says is bad must be good, and hey, if we go further in history, they're probably actually Orthodox. Now, part of that is historical ignorance and misunderstanding, and yeah, guess what? That's going to be popular in America when people don't have the kind of readily verifiable access to real church history information. So, for instance, if I told a Baptist today that the Montanists were a 
heretical group of neo-prophets that believed that Jesus, well, he was great, but now real authority from God comes from Montanus and his, uh, the two women that were helping him out. The Baptist would call me crazy. And we, he could look it up online and find out that I'm speaking the truth about Montanus and that the church condemned Montanists. It, well, they were right to do so in a justified manner. If I was to tell a, Montana, or a Baptist about Montanism back in the 1800s, he can't look that up. He'd have to take my word for it. So with sketchy access to real church history, Baptist successionism became a big deal. And it even had its own like heritage, its own trail of blood diagrams and graphs. And Jack Chick, I guarantee you, was a follower of the trail of blood hypothesis. And the problem with this is, if you believe that the Roman Catholic Church is an evil institution set up by Constantine to enforce and insert pagan beliefs into the Christian faith, then what you're going to believe is that anything a Roman Catholic priest or a Roman Catholic believer tells you to correct that is just the false witness and propaganda of the Roman Catholic Church. You're not going to give them the time of day to listen to it. And so Jack Chick here being raised up in and believing in this theory, he's going to have some very negative opinions of the Roman Catholic Church. So when we get, when we get to tracts out here like... Um, why is Mary crying, right? I can just narrate a few panels here. Poor Mary, her heart is broken by the very ones who love her. How can this be? Mary is honored and loved worldwide by the faithful, but they have not done what she asked them to do. Mary was an example to people everywhere. Mary knew that her life would be in danger. She would be accused of adultery and would be stoned to death under Jewish law. But Mary was willing to obey God at any cost. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Soon the baby was born and Mary did something surprising. Right? It, it, you know, she telling the idea of how Mary became the, the mother of God. Although Jack Trick would reject that term, he would say Christotokos, not Theotokos. <clears throat> but how does Jack Chick explain in his little pamphlet how Mary came to be? And this gives us a, a viewpoint into how our fundamentalist Baptist friends kind of see the world if they accept the Baptist successionism line. Quote from this tract, Why is Mary Crying? Satan knew Jesus would leave heaven and be born of a virgin to become the savior and mediator between God and man. So he devised a wicked plan to confuse the people into putting their trust in a counterfeit virgin that Satan created. After Noah's flood, the survivors multiplied and built the great city of Babylon. Satan found his quote-unquote virgin, a beautiful witch named Semiramis and he used her to put untold millions into hell. Semiramis became the queen of Babylon and married Nimrod. Historically, he was called the husband of his mother. Satan used them both to create a satanic cult so powerful that it spread around the world, and multitudes looked to Semiramis as their goddess mother. 
Semiramis and Nimrod came up with the idea of confessionals and celibacy for the priesthood. Nimrod was called by many names, including Moloch. Babies were sacrificed in his honor. When Nimrod was put to death, the people wept. Semiramis moved quickly to take advantage of the situation. And he has a picture of a, a monument that bears... It's, it's a drawing that he made that looks like the virgin holding the child. Satan's phony virgin gave birth to another child and claimed that Nimrod had been reincarnated. The child was called Tammuz. He became the sun god, Baal. She became a goddess with many names such as Balti, the Madonna, the great goddess mother, queen of heaven, the Mediatrix, the mother of mankind, Ashtarte, etc., Devaki and Krishna, Isis and Horus, Indrani and child. As time went on, monuments of the goddess and her child appeared in many nations. Because when the people of Babylon were scattered to various parts of the earth, they took with them the worship of the divine mother and child. Satan had successfully set up his own deadly religion long before Jesus was born. The earth was in darkness. And so he has these uh, supposed pagan parallels to that with uh, Xingmu, the holy mother in China, Devaki and Krishna, the child, Diana, the mother of gods identified with Samaramas, Isis and Horus, goddess mother and Horus, the child, Aphrodite, the Mediatrix, supposedly, Venus and Jupiter. Now, if you're reading this, right, you look at this and it's like, hey, wait a second, Mediatrix? Um, for Aphrodite in Greece? Well, Mediatrix is a Latin name. That doesn't work, historically speaking. And are they really saying that the Babylonians covered the entire world? Oh, yes, he does. He claims this. It has been recorded that even in Africa, the great mother and child received divine honors. Worldwide, the adoration was so strong among the pagans that they would not forsake their mother goddess. When Roman Catholicism came into existence around 300 AD, again, tracing that to the Edict of Milan, the idea that Constantine wanted a Roman Christianity rather than real Christianity, the leaders knew they could adopt the worship of the goddess mother into their religious system. Then countless pagans would convert to Catholicism. <gasps> Mary, the mother of Jesus, was the only logical person. Little by little, the worship of the pagan goddess was transferred to Mary. The ancient Babylonian religion depicted the goddess mother as the only one who could control her son. And so the same satanic idea was incorporated into Catholicism. Jesus is angry and only Mary can appease him. And so Catholics are afraid of the loving Savior and they believe only Mary can get them into heaven. Uh, now he's mixing in a little bit of truth with, with a whole bunch of historical inaccuracies here. Because... He's a Baptist, so there's a little bit of Reformation history there where, yes, there was a time when Roman Catholics on the street, your average Roman Catholic layman, had no clue that Jesus says he's meek and lowly. You come to him, you can give him your birth. Matthew chapter 11. And they were taught by the scholastics that, yeah, you really, you really do need to go to Mary. You really do need to go to the saints. 
but really the same today for Roman Catholics. Any Roman Catholic listeners here, please correct me. If you're if you're being taught now that Jesus is this angry dictator in the sky that you unless Mary can get him to, please let me know. But as far as I understand, every Roman Catholic brother and sister in Christ I know of loves Jesus, prays to him, <laughs> goes to him for help. But for Jack Chick, he says, you know, the mother of God that Catholics worship is not the Mary of the Bible. Satan has successfully deceived them into worshipping his counterfeit goddess, the Queen of Heaven. So, hmm, interesting. And he even gets a little bit of his dispensationalist concepts into there, the very back end of the tract here. I, I just like reading this in this kind of voice, so please bear with me a bit. In these last days, the key to pulling all the religions together is the worship of the satanic mother goddess. Almost a billion Muslims will join because the Virgin Mary was carefully placed in their holy book, the Koran. Even the New Agers refer to a mother-father god. Satanic posers will impersonate Mary in future apparitions of the Virgin worldwide, including communist countries, to bring the world under Satan's Antichrist. Where the heck does he get this kind of information? Well, again, this helps us to understand a little bit of the American Baptist mindset here. There is a book called uh, The Two Babylons. So The Two Babylons, it's by a, a Scotland theologian named Alexander Hyssop. It was written in the 19th century, early 19th century around that time. And it makes the case that the Roman Catholic Church, as we see with this tract, Why is Mary Crying?, it makes the case that, well, the Roman Catholic Church is Mystery Babylon. It is the, the whore, the harlot Babylon of Revelation. And it's because it's actually descended from Babylon. Now, why is that the case? Where did uh, Alexander Hislop get his idea? Well, if you consider at the time in the 19th century, archaeology was starting to get more popular and get bigger, and certain Assyrian texts and legends and all this stuff from the ancient Near East were coming over to the West, Hislop gets this idea that the accounts of a man named Ninus, right, a Ninus who with a semi-historical wife named Semiramis, well, that's Semiramis? Who's that? And, well, these texts say that someone named uh, Shamuramat is a, a region, a co-regent of the Assyrian Empire. Well, he's taking that to just mean Babylon. And Ninus sounds kind of similar to Nimrod from the Holy Scriptures. Nimrod was a mighty hunter on the earth. That's the early parts of Genesis that we find the name Nimrod. So Hislop says, hmm, wait a second. If I can take, if, the, if this connection is true, then this is big news here. This Ninus guy and this Semiramis, his wife. And uh, as Clementine literature is coming up, what's called the Clementine Discourses from early church history, well, that's associating Ninus as the founder of Assyria's capital, Nineveh. Oh, Nineveh. Well, that well Nimrod made Babylon. So, oh man, it's all coming together now. In Semiramis was of course his wife, and this means that this husband and wife was 
it was mother and son, I guess. Where does he get this idea? Where does he get this idea that suddenly now Semiramis and her uh, her husband, who has a semi-legend-ish history, uh, Ninus, that that's actually Semiramis and Nimrod. And it's not uh, Nineveh that they're building, it's actually Babylon. Well, at the same time, as uh, Hislop is studying all this stuff, there's a theory on history called hyperdiffusionism. Hyperdiffusionism is the concept that, well, everything comes from one source, generally speaking. There has to be a diffusion around the world. If you had Babel, the Tower of Babel, with everybody living together, and then everything spreading out from there, then, of course most of the cultural imprint and cultural ideas at the bedrock of people's minds is going to come from Babel, and thus come from Babylon. So Hislop here, and Jack Chick later on taking that cue from him, he sees Semiramis and Nimrod, again, actually Ninus here, but he's seeing Nimrod as this inventor of polytheism as this inventor of a culture which absolutely betrays the God of the Bible and therefore influences the false mythology and false religions of the world. He's trying to come up with a grand unifying theory of paganism here. So, he claims that Easter, the word Easter, is derived from Ishtar. And that the ancient Near Eastern goddess that has relations with Tammuz, who is a Babylonian god, well, that must secretly be Semiramis in Babylon. So, are you tracking with me? This is the, like the secret history of the world according to this grand unifying theory by the independent Baptists. So the Pan-Babylonian school has this massive influence on them. So they think this is what's going on. And they think that it continues. It's got to be continuing somehow because you don't have this hyper-diffusionist view where everything comes back to Babylon and just pretend that somehow it stopped. Someone out there is keeping that torch alit. And someone out there is seeking probably the devil because who else would give us polytheism behind Semiramis than the devil himself somebody would want to keep this false model ready oiled ready to go you crank that key and it's going to go right there and keep going into the modern world and well Semiramis and Tammuz Semiramis and Ninus mm. Roman Catholicism has that big emphasis on Mary, doesn't it? Well, that's an interesting parallel, they would say. They look at that and they say, that's a pretty interesting parallel, and you know what? I buy it. So, suddenly now the Pope is the inheritor of the Babylonian kingdom. Roman Catholicism, because supposedly Rome sets on seven hills... And the scriptures say that uh, Mystery Babylon rests on seven mountains or seven hills. Therefore, this really is Mystery Babylon. That's Roman Catholic Church. That's it. Now, this does get goofy, right? 
Um, I believe Hislop said the Pope himself is truly and properly the lineal representative of Belshazzar. Which, again, here, as, as Christians living in the 21st century, we can look and we can go, wait a second, Belshazzar? Belshazzar was killed when the Persians came in and took over. There is no inheritor of Belshazzar's um, crown, so to speak. He also claimed that the Christogram, IHS, that you see on all sorts of different little flags here, it's, a, it's an anagram for Jesus Christ. Well, they're saying, no, 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 these are the Latin characters for Isis, Horus, and Seb. Okay, so in modern days, this theory, based on misunderstanding of ancient Near Eastern texts, as well as a flawed understanding of history as it relates to Babylon, back in Hislop's day, this was cutting-edge stuff. This was, this was the blade. This was the top dog, high-society history textbook type stuff this was a big deal especially when it made it to america where suddenly now communications and printing and all of this stuff america is going through and industrializing much more quickly than in eastern european countries <clears throat> and it has a much heavier baptist influence than even the church of england would permit in england so where else was this Baptist theory going to go than the United States of America, where it would come in and it would get a firm grip on the world? And by the way, yes, it's all wrong. Um, Shemar Ramat, I believe that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it. Shemar Ramat was around the turn of the 9th century BC, early, like late, late, late 9th century BC, way before the Tower of Babel became a thing, right? Or way after the Tower of Babel became a thing. Uh, Shemaramat, also called Semiramis, just wasn't around, and nor was she actually married to a man named Ninus. But, even if that's wrong, that wasn't known at the time. And we didn't have the kind of scholarship about ancient Near Eastern history the way that we do now. Like, right now, I have a copy of uh, James Pritchard's Ancient Near Eastern Texts. If I want to check the actual um, historical timelines, mythographies, historiographies, even the wisdom literature and the prayers that they would pray in the Ancient Near East to various gods, I can. I can double-check all this stuff and say, yeah, that theory's wrong. Jack Chick didn't have that. And so if you grow up believing that, yes, the Virgin Mary, as presented by Rome, is actually Semiramis, an evil Canaanite deity woman, and if you grow up thinking that's true and the Roman Catholic Church is giving us a giant conspiracy, you're going to think the Roman Catholic Church is evil. And you're also going to agree with Huldrych Zwingli that every piece of Roman Catholic theology is probably evil, right? That's just how it's going to be. So let's take another look at a comic here. I mean, you can look these up online at chick.com. You can find all of these pamphlets just to read for funsies. So feel free. It's He was actually a good cartoonist. He, he was really talented at making goofy and scary uh, pictures of people. Things that can make you laugh. Things that can make you feel a bit spooked out, a little spooked. He could put this stuff in a way that even though he's saying that Rome is the one giving us the propaganda, 
maybe unwittingly, he's the one giving us propaganda. So I'm going to look at a, uh, a cartoon he wrote, a chick tract, called The Death Cookie. And this is, again, if you're raised to think that the Roman Catholic Church is an evil Babylonian conspiracy that's in league with the devil under a witch named Semiramis, then you're going to think most of Roman Catholic theology is evil too, and you're going to run as far away from it as possible into the hands of the Baptists. So, with the death cookie, this evil priest with like a snake necklace is talking to some doofus-looking guy with a comb-over haircut and one big center tooth in his mouth. He's asking him, How could I gain control of all these people without an army? And the little devil priest is like, It's simple. Make them believe that your immortal souls are in your hands. If you can make a man believe that you have the power to put him into hell, he'll do anything you ask to save his skin. Come on, no one would believe that. Try it, you might be in for a big surprise. I'm telling you it will work. But I'm only a man. How could they think I had such power? Let me guide you and show you how step by step. Can I trust you? If you can't trust me, then who can you trust? See, now you're getting like kind of a radio program out of this. Man is religious by nature, and so you must appear to be very holy. You mean I'm to pray a lot? Uh, uh, Oh yes, but you must also be very mysterious and different. Speak things that no one understands and burn a lot of candles. And see, this is a mistake that Jack Chick is making. He, He thinks that the Roman Catholics were using Latin because, well, nobody else understood it, so it's... helps you to do the hocus pocus and appear more holy than you really are when really i mean latin was the the common language of the time when it was established when we had the the vulgate translation of the bible everybody understood what was going on in mass and that just kind of snowballed into its own thing but it wasn't out of some conspiracy at least at first but moving on we must build a holy work and we'll need helpers to serve you And they must tell everyone how great you are. But your holy helpers must appear to have magical powers. And most important, the people must fear them. It is vital that the people believe that only you and your holy helpers know God. That would give me incredible power and riches. Now you're getting the picture. To pull this off, the people must look to you for spiritual guidance. They must become your children, and you must become their papa. Will they love me? Yes, if they want to live. Now all we need is a god for the people, one they can see, and touch, and pray to. And here it is, a cookie. What? Are you insane? Nobody will believe that. They did it in ancient Egypt, and it worked. And believe me, my friend, we can do it again. Our hardest job will be to convince the people that this is their god, and we'll do it with magic. By the time we put our plans into effect, the people will die for this god. They will kill for it, love it, kiss it, because they will believe it is God Almighty. Uh, Yeah, about that, by the way. So the concept of the Eucharist coming from ancient Egypt is, well, 
again, with new archaeology coming in, in this concept of the two Babylons, there was also a theory that uh, cakes made for Osiris, the god of grain, were, well, secretly a primitive form of the Eucharist. Now, nowhere in Egyptian history does it say that the cakes for Osiris were actually Osiris's flesh or his blood. But when you start this idea of pan-Babylonian hyperdiffusionism and you get to this theory that everything comes back down to Babylon, well, it's going to be really easy to try to draw a line from Rome today to some pagan practices of yesteryear. So, I'll continue here. <laughs> in Egypt, the people worshipped the sun, and they called it the great god Osiris. He gets this one wrong, too, because actually their sun god was called Ra, but I digress. On the altars of Egypt were round sun-shaped wafers made of unleavened bread. Also not true, though. I don't believe they were unleavened, but anyway. Egyptian priests would pray over the little wafers to make them holy. Then they told the people that a miracle had happened. They claimed that the wafers had turned into the flesh of the sun god Osiris. And then the people ate their god. This is known today as transubstantiation. Even though it tasted like unleavened bread, no one dared to question the priests. The people had to say it was Osiris because everyone else did. The lie was very successful. <clears throat> I love it. If they could do it, then so can we. My friend, if we pull this off, our cookie will become a death cookie for anyone who opposes our holy work. <laughs> and so the holy work began. Papa and his holy helpers put on religious costumes and the people were dazzled. We are here to pray for your souls. I am your papa, and you are my children. And the people believed him. Today my holy helpers will perform a miracle right before your eyes. Step a little closer. This looks like an ordinary cookie. It is. But watch the magical powers of my holy helpers and see what happens to it. Watch, children. This holy man is calling God out of heaven to go into the cookie. We call this transubstantiation. Hocus pocus dominocus. What's he saying? The holy helpers put on a great show. Only the cookie didn't appear to change. It still looked like an ordinary cookie. See, it happened. Now you can eat your guide. This is the miracle I promised you. We call it Jesus. Out of fear, the people bowed to this strange new idol and served it. The holy papa knew at last that he had absolute control over the people. He had pulled it off. They changed the name, Holy Work, to Mama Church. They told the people that the only way to heaven was through Mama Church. If you don't obey us, we won't let you eat the Jesus cookie anymore. And that means you lose your immortal souls. The people were afraid of the holy helpers and their magic because the cookie god meant life or death to them. <sighs> this is standard stuff. 
And this is the same kind of thing that Zwingli and the Anabaptists and later on the Baptists to this day many of the Baptists say. This isn't actually the body and blood of Christ. This is this is your way for God and this is uh, just wine that you're probably getting drunk off of. Now stop being Roman Catholic or stop being Lutheran or stop being Anglican or stop being Eastern Orthodox. Don't you know that you're following this Egyptian custom that really comes from Babylon? Stupid. Now, of course, I could get into the disagreements I have with this as a Lutheran who believes in the real presence of Christ's body and blood. When Jesus said, this is my body, he didn't say this represents. And he said it's for a purpose as well. He said it's for the forgiveness of our sins, that his blood is shed and given to us to drink. He says in John 6, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. My body is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He intensifies it. But we're not here to discuss the theology behind this. We're looking at the worldview. Because day in and day out, people out there get ticked off at Jack Chick's tracts out there. And they have this idea that he was just some hateful guy. Right? When in reality, I would say Jack Chick was a pretty loving dude. He was offensive, sure. He was a didactic person, yeah, but so was Martin Luther. But I think Jack Chick was critically misinformed by an unfortunately outdated and erroneous way of looking at history. But, okay, I can't help myself. I gotta read the rest of these with the voices. I love doing this kind of voice acting thing. One day a big problem arose. Holy Papa... If the people ever read what's in the sacred writings, then they will find out that we've tricked them. What should we do? Get my religious advisor. He will tell us what to do. Hurry, we could lose everything. He's the only one I trust. Ah, yes, a holy papa. Here's what we must do. Convince the people that the sacred writings are dangerous, and we are here to protect the children. Tell them only the holy helpers understand these mysterious writings, and if the people ever read the scriptures, they would go crazy. The religious advisor added more Jesuses to Mama Church to confuse the children, and they had to bow down and worship each one listed below as God, the baby Jesus of Christmas. The dead Jesus on a cross, you know, referring to the crucifix. The angry Jesus up in heaven that nobody can calm down except his mother. This Jesus was created to frighten everyone in Mama Church. Even Holy Papa became a type of Jesus. The Holy Helpers became other Jesuses. But the most dangerous Jesus was the one they stole from Egypt. The Cookie God. Uh, Mama Church kept the children in darkness by not telling them about God's first commandment, which said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And again, this is misunderstanding what the scriptures say about the sacrament of Eucharist. But if you think Rome is evil, and this is the history you got in the United States, then you're going to run away from whatever explanation they give you. Even if the Roman Catholic Church, even if a confessional Lutheran pastor went to Jack Chick and said, hey man, this is what the Bible says, this is what it says about baptism and about communion, here are our sacraments, this is God for us. And it's not a multiplication of gods, but 
if Christ is at the right hand of the Father and the, the Father is everywhere, then Jesus can make his presence specially known in the sacrament. Jack Chick wouldn't believe it. He would just say, no, listen, this is, I, I love you, but I, I'd want you out of your, your semi-pagan Babylonian mystery religion here. So, continuing on, i got to keep reading this. This is just so much fun here. Um, Mama Church became so rich and powerful that even kings were afraid of her. Then one day, one of the children found the sacred scriptures. What's this? It looks interesting. Let's see what it says. And then it hit the fan. Listen to these scriptures. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Mama Church said she was the way. This also says we are justified by faith. Romans 5, 1. We've been tricked. <clears throat> For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that's you, believeth in him, should not perish in the lake of fire, but have everlasting life in heaven. John three sixteen. And they, they read, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. Acts 16.31 And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. <clears throat> At the Last Supper, Jesus said, When you eat this bread and drink of the cup, this do in remembrance of me. Luke 22.19 To show the Lord's death until he comes. Then it's symbolic. The Holy Papa has lied to us. And again, that's standard Baptist apologetics here. The word remembrance, by the way, in this do in remembrance of me, that's anamnesis, and that's a whole lot more than remembering. But, if you're a King James onlyist, coming out of that Baptist tradition, thinking the King James Bible is the only Bible, you're not going to look into the Greek to find out that anamnesis means putting yourself where Jesus is. Going there to partake of what he had to give. To be with him in actual, real communion. No, then just remembering means plain old remembering. Intellectual rec um, re recalling like memory, you know. And thus it becomes a symbol. <laughs> but we keep reading this. And the children started leaving. The holy papa was furious. The holy workers passed laws to stop this message from spreading. It says that anyone who says the cookie god isn't really Jesus must die. Anyone who says it's only symbolic must die. Anyone who doesn't eat it must die. Gulp. This was a war to the death. And the naughty children were captured to be purified. Ouch. And so the blood oath, the bloodbath began. Is this Jesus Christ, his body, blood, body, and soul? No, it's symbolic. Burn him. <laughs> the cookie god was actually called the wafer god, and thus began the Inquisition, a battle for the survival of Mother Church. When you look at the trail of blood hypothesis, that's, that's what they really believe, that the Inquisition wasn't over conversos and other issues in the church. No, that the Inquisition was about Baptists, because of course the Roman Catholic Church started by Constantine to reinstitute pan-Babylonian diffusion theology, of course, that would hate the real Bible. That would hate the real Christianity. So it wasn't about conversos, and it wasn't about false converts or uh, usurers within the church. It had to have been only this. 
that people said the cookie god wasn't the cookie god. From 1200 to 1808, unspeakable tortures and deaths stalked the Catholic world. And with 68 million victims, Satan was in complete control of the Roman Catholic Church. And of course, from this, they're counting the Albigensians and the Paulicians and the Cathars, all of whom were Gnostic cults that were disrupting society. And this also ignores the Anabaptists doing their thing. But that's the theory. That's what, in America, this was what most people were brought up with. I know I've probably repeated myself a bajillion times here. Jack Chick meant well. I really honestly do believe that he meant well. But unfortunately, whenever he gets into interdenominational stuff, this is the product of it. This is the product of ignorance the same way as when a Roman Catholic says that, if a Roman Catholic says to me, oh, you, you Lutherans out there, what do you dorks believe in? You know what? You just believe that anybody can sit under a tree and read the Bible and make their own denomination. That's what you believe. Because that's all they've been taught. That's all they've been taught by different polemic voices in the Roman Catholic Church. And I wouldn't necessarily deny that the guy, the Roman Catholic saying that to me, might be a stand-up guy. He might even have legitimate real faith in Christ as his Savior. But he's misinformed and he's not really able to or not willing to do the real hard studying that Jack Chick wasn't willing to do as more information came to light. And I would even say that his his gospel tracts, when he just wants to warn people about hell and bring people into the kingdom, and he even advises them to go to church... Those are perfectly fine. They're, in fact, great resources for Christians of any denomination to bring people into the church. I dare say even a Roman Catholic could probably benefit from getting some of his tracts and ironically using them to bring people into the Roman Catholic Church. Or Lutherans. I mean, we worship the quote-unquote wafer god too, right? Uh, It didn't help, by the way, that there was an individual, and he's worth mentioning, Uh, Alberto Rivera, who claimed to have been a Catholic priest. He claimed to have been a Catholic priest and that he had all these scandalizing inner workings of uh, the Catholic Church, the, the way it really works and what it really means. So... What it, what's behind Catholicism? Because Rivera here, Alberto Rivera, was a good friend of... Jack Chick. He claimed that the Jesuits, you know, there's many Jesuit conspiracy theories and everything, that the Jesuits were behind communism, Nazism, um, causing the world wars, uh, the recession, the Jonestown massacre even, killing Lincoln and killing John F. Kennedy, who was Catholic himself. He said that the Catholic Church wanted to spread anything and everything evil from, like, pornography and homosexuality to abortion and stuff like that. And, yeah. He was the one that really helped plug in and verify a lot of what Jack Chick was saying by claiming this is still going on today. Now... According to some sources, Alberto Rivera was actually, um a fraudster who had 
gone to jail for credit card theft, writing bad checks, fraud, all sorts of stuff, running from the law, being a fugitive. And um, supposedly he was never actually a, um, a Jesuit priest or a bishop. He claimed to have brought some documents up, but the guy, I mean, they were clearly forged, uh, according to the Roman Catholic Church. They're like, we don't know this guy. What are you talking about? So there were, like, entire comic books that Jack Chick would illustrate and help him make and everything like that under Alberto Rivera's uh, guidance to tell the real inside story of Roman Catholicism, you see. And now I'm sure there's a lot of people that talk about Jesuit tricks and the current Pope who is upsetting everyone every other day is also a Jesuit. Um, so say what you will about the Jesuits, I really doubt that they were behind abortion and homosexuality like Alberto Rivera was claiming. So that's what really goes into it. Now, people might say he's hateful. Atheists will say that Jack Chick is an evil, hateful man, and my response is, by what standard, you atheist, hypocrite, dorks? By what standard? Because in Jack Chick's worldview, he is trying to wake people up and get them out of cults. He's trying to get people out of degenerate lifestyles. He encouraged people to get away from child molesters if they were growing up with, with that kind of baggage to get... To not let a child molester in your past harm you, or to not let your alcoholic and your father, like your alcoholic father in your past, to not let him bug you anymore. To to get into a church, to get into real faith in Christ, right? There's value in it, even if the guy was kind of driven crazy by some of these poorly formed conspiracy theories that sounded so so good and sounded so reasonable when they were being first formulated. But today, they just don't work. So that's about all, I'm, I guess, all I can say about Jack Chick. I think the guy was a total dork and a goofball with a cartoony way of drawing. He had some real talent, and his heart was in the right place. But with a ham-fisted kind of apology, apologetic way of going about things, I think it really depends on the person whether or not they're going to like what he's doing. I don't think he's some evil anti-Christian. He's not like the uh, Westboro Baptist Church using Christianity as a clever front for a shakedown operation, right? He, he was earnest in his beliefs, and he probably didn't live that great of a life, you know, just in terms of money and things. He gave away a lot of stuff for free, and I think an earnest person would do that. And I, I would say he was, a, he was a real Christian who really did believe in the gospel even if he was a goofball about it. But that's all I got for you. Hopefully it's a satisfying answer. I know it's about an hour-long answer here. It's, it's so fun reading these comics. I'm not going to lie. It's entertainment. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you for the next time that we are together listening to and discussing all sorts of topics. God bless you, everyone, and Pugnus Pastorum.